Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. We continue with this reading uh, from God's Word. This is from the ninth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, verses 36 to 43. If you happen to be following along in a pew Bible, you can find that passage on 894, page 894 of your pew Bible. Listen to the Word of God. Now, in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, who heard that Peter was there, sent two men with him with the request, please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. And calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. Father, sanctify us in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Amen. Bill's a pretty good shepherd for the choir. A lot of what happens in worship, if you're paying attention, and we can see it a little bit better from our vantage point, is about the little cues that happen that move us all the way through an order of worship. And just before the choir sang the anthem, I don't know if you could hear it, but Bill gave a few notes to cue the choir where they were to start before they sang, right? We get these little cues all through our life. One day this past week, my wife Caroline and I were out on a hike. We were hiking uh, in a new place, a pretty long hike actually, at least it was long for me. Uh, There was going to be a pretty uh, significant elevation change where we were hiking. It was going to be pretty strenuous. We were in kind of a remote area. We only saw a handful of people through most of our hike. And neither one of us wanted to get lost while we were out hiking. That's not a goal of any of us have when we get out on a hike. So one of the things that I did before we left to start our hike is I downloaded an app. There's an app for everything. And on this app, I found the actual trail that we were going to be walking on. And I downloaded that particular map of that particular trail so that I would be able, even if we didn't have service, to see what the map was supposed to look like so that we hit every turn on the trail and didn't get lost. Right? Always following cues. 
This morning, as we continue with our Eastertide series, we are still focused on these cues that we see from the disciples and from the Holy Spirit as God's aliveness in the world continues to unfold post-Easter. And in some ways, tracing those events after the resurrection, they help to give us clues. They help to give us a sense of the route that we are invited to follow on so that we might stay on the trail of where God is already at work in the world. And even though we are in Acts this morning... For any of us that have read any of the Gospels, today's story is a familiar story, isn't it? We've heard this story before. We've walked this ground before. From the most well-known story, maybe, of Jesus calling Lazarus to get up out of the tomb in John's Gospel, to the reversal of the death of the son of the widow of Nain, And the raising up of Jairus' daughter, every single one of the Gospels has at least one story of Jesus bringing new life where there was death. So when we think about that, along with the story of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, when we parallel those stories together, we shouldn't be surprised at all to read what happened in Acts Should we? We should begin to anticipate this kind of work of God in the world. We're told Tabitha was a disciple who lived in Joppa. Tabitha is a woman and she is a disciple. In fact, Luke identifies Tabitha with the female form of the word disciple. It's the only time that this form of the word is used in the entire New Testament. She isn't identified as the wife of someone else. She isn't identified as the daughter of someone important or by her relation to anyone else. Luke wants us to be clear, Tabitha was a disciple. That's who she was. And we're also told that Tabitha was devoted to good works and to acts of charity. So not only is she a disciple, she's a faithful disciple, right? Faithfulness isn't just what we say. It's the connection of what we say and what we believe with what we actually do each day. Right belief coupled with right action. I could tell you all day long that I believe in grace and that I think followers of Jesus should act with grace. But when it comes down to it, if I have opportunities to show grace to other people and I choose to be punitive or vindictive with my actions, do I really believe in grace? If I tell people all day long that we as Christians are to love and that I agree with Paul that the greatest of these, when everything falls away, is love, And that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind and with all our strength. But if I don't actually show love to others, if I don't actually show love to my neighbor, do I really believe in love? Tabitha didn't just believe that faithful disciples should care for others, especially the least of these in the community, and that good works of acts and acts of charity were principles that a faithful person should hold dear, she participated in that belief. She committed her life 
to it. And we know this because, as the young people say these days, we have the receipts in the text. Actually, the widows are the ones who have the receipts. So if you wanted to know who was a good coach in something, would you go ask other coaches or sports pundits? You might, but it would be served better to ask the players, right? If you wanted to know who, uh, who was a good teacher, would you go ask other teachers or administrators? Maybe, but you'd probably be better served to ask students, right? If you want to know if someone cares for others, you ask for a testimony from someone who received their care. When I was a pastor of First Baptist Church of Rome, we did a visioning process early on in my tenure. And one of the questions that we asked ourselves as a kind of guide to help us think and re-envision the future of the church was a question to get us thinking about what others in the community might think about us as a congregation. And about how engaged we were maybe with others outside the walls of our congregation. And we simply ask ourselves this question. If we disappeared completely from our community today, who would miss us? If we disappeared completely from our community today, just completely wiped off the face of the earth, the community at this church, who would miss us? Would we just miss ourselves and the services that we provided to one another? Or would others in the community realize that we weren't there anymore? And why would they miss us? Would they miss us because they didn't have as much money coming in each month to the bottom line of their budget? Or would it be because there were less people serving food in a food kitchen on a Thursday? Or would it be because people in the community suddenly miss their friends who they were knit together with in their life? These were clarifying questions. We don't have to ask those kinds of questions about Tabitha, do we? When Tabitha dies, it is clear that the widows in Joppa know her. They are connected to her. They love her. And they know that they were loved and cared for and ministered to and lifted up by her. And we know that because when she dies, they show up with the receipts. They show up with the tunics and the other clothing that she had made for them. Now that might not seem like much to you or to me. Because we might be thinking about these widows in their tunics or the other clothing like we might think about a friend showing up and giving us a, a jacket that doesn't fit anymore or, or saying something like, you know, this is the dress that Bill got me for our anniversary trip, right? These women are first of all identified in the scripture as widows, Within the entire witness of Scripture, whenever the poor or the marginalized are mentioned, the widows are often included. And it's because in that day and in that time, women were not seen as being on equal footing with men. They were generally seen in that day and time as property. They were valued for their ability, maybe most of all, to bear children, especially male children. 
But because they didn't have an equal voice in the community and because they didn't have the same kind of power in the community that men had, politically or socioeconomically or otherwise, when their husbands died and they became widows, they were pushed to the margins. They were dependent suddenly because they didn't have a male who was caring and providing for them. They were dependent on the charity and support of others in the community to survive. And Tabitha was one of those in the community who, when it came to the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, she saw an opportunity to put her faith into action. And it wasn't just that she was financially capable of sharing her generosity with others, which she was and she did. But more than that, she empowered these widows through her generosity with the good news of stability and new means and a new place in their community. What do I mean by that? Well, consider, first of all, that Luke is the one who is writing the Acts of the Apostles. If we think about Luke's account of Jesus, Luke's gospel, it's often framed as good news for the poor, isn't it? Luke has a primary concern for the poor in the world and the marginalized and the outcast, particularly as it relates to the powers of that day. For Luke, Jesus came into the world bringing good news for all people, and it was especially good news for the poor. The poor and the marginalized, the widows, they wouldn't have had much to their name, but one of the things that many or most would have had was a cloak or a tunic, right? A tunic would have been the garment that you wore closest to your skin, And the cloak would have been your outer garment. So you would have had protection to keep you warm during the cold desert nights, and you would have had protection from the sun during the hot days, right? Remember earlier in Luke's gospel when Jesus is teaching about loving your enemies, one of the things that Jesus says is, if anyone takes away your cloak, do not withhold even your tunic. Right? Remember that? So if you were poor, the most likely reason that someone would have been taking away your cloak is because your cloak had been used as leverage against your debts. In that day and in that time, if you were poor, if you were on the margins, if you had next to nothing, you could still use your cloak as leverage, as collateral against your debts. And in a world where everything could be stripped away from you, under Jewish law, even your cloak that had been taken and held as collateral against your debts, it had to be returned to you every evening to preserve your dignity, to keep you warm at night. But like any system, this system of usury that was outlined in Scripture was also being abused by those in power. So the good news that Jesus brings to that community in this particular case, it isn't a yard sale where you give everything away. It's a great reversal. Jesus says, when you give your cloak, also give them your tunic as well. And what does that mean? Well, think about it literally. You're standing there with nothing on, right? 
And in that day, to be standing stark naked in front of someone would have caused more shame for the person viewing the nakedness than for you who didn't have any clothes on at all. And what that person would have then been influenced to do was to give you back your tunic and to give you back your cloak in recognition of the societal shame and exchange that had just happened between you that had also shed a light on unfair lending practices that were happening in that community that were literally stripping away the dignity of whole swaths of people. Can you imagine that? A complete reversal of an unfair economic system all from the exchange of tunics and cloaks. So just a few years later, here in the Acts of the Apostles, we hear Luke telling about widows waving tunics and other garments that this disciple Tabitha had been making for them and giving to them. We aren't just talking about thank you notes for gifts given, are we? We are talking about something much larger. Can you see what these widows are saying? All of these widows are gathered around grieving and weeping and remembering, and they aren't just participating in the mourning of their dear sister. They were there to give witness to a disciple who had changed their lives and who had given them new agency and means in a world where they thought they had lost it all. They were there to honor the life of this disciple who, with the energies and resources that she had available to her, had affirmed to these widows that they were not forgotten and all was not lost, that they still had a future with hope. It's the good news of that great reversal from death to life, all from the exchange of tunics and cloaks. I mean, when the spouses of these widows died, these women lost the social and economic and political voice that they had in the world. And these widows may as well have been standing there stripped bare, thinking that their entire future had died too. I imagine that's some of what Jairus might have been thinking. That's probably some of what the widow of Nain must have thought when she lost her boy. I imagine even Mary and Martha and all Lazarus' friends, even the disciples, they were thinking at one point in time, there's no hope that it's all finished, that it's over, that we've lost it all, that there's no one to speak for us anymore. Except there was. And her name was Tabitha. And she was a disciple. The end of this passage goes, you know, Peter sent all the mourning widows out. And he knelt down and he prayed. And after that, Peter said, Tabitha, get up. 
And she opened her eyes and she sat up. And then Peter called back in the saints and all the widows. And the scripture says, Peter showed her to be alive. Right? That's just like Peter, isn't it? Those widows and those saints, they already knew that Tabitha had been alive because she had been filled with the aliveness of God in her life. They were already gathered giving witness to the aliveness that they had experienced through what she had done for them. Peter just affirmed in that moment what they already knew to be true. Somewhere in her life, Tabitha had already heard that Easter imperative that Jairus' daughter and the widow's boy and Lazarus also heard. Get up. Get up. In the place where everyone else sees nothing but death, the good news has come to speak a word of new life. And that spirit said to Tabitha, come and join me and embody that good news. So with every tunic she knit and with every cloak she handed out, Tabitha spread that same good news over and over and over again. Get up. The worst things are not the last things. Get up. Death has no more power here. Get up. You are not alone. Get up. For there is nothing, there is nothing to fear. The story of the great reversal from death to life told in the sharing of gifts made by hand. Tabitha heard, and she gave witness with her life. Those widows heard too, and they came to give witness to what they had experienced. May we have ears to hear and hearts willing to respond as well. May it be so with our lives this day and every day forward. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.